You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. We experienced, like most people, zero turnover in 2020 during the pandemic, right? Everybody just kind of hunkered down. In 2021, we had record turnover because we basically had two years worth. Accounting is a high turnover business, generally speaking, because a lot of people start and then decide they don't want to do it for the rest of their lives. Right now, though, we're in a place where I don't think we could hire enough people, honestly. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. For the first time in more than 30 years, Darcy Congrove isn't spending this tax season doing taxes. The longtime Columbus CPA retired from the tax department at GBQ at the end of last year. That doesn't mean she's not busy, of course. There's still plenty to fill her schedule as managing director of the firm, Central Ohio's sixth largest accounting firm. But she's no longer working the crazy hours tax professionals often find themselves doing this time of year. That said, neither are many team members at GBQ. Darcy recently visited our studio for an interview, during which she talked about how the firm has found new ways to embrace flexibility and make tax season more bearable for employees at all levels. That's just one of the topics we covered in our recent interview. All right. Well, Darcy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you are a GBQ, an accounting firm, and and that's basically been your path. You're a CPA, correct? Yes. So when did you first know that accounting was your love? (laughs) (laughs) So a funny story. My dad has nine brothers and sisters, so I have a lot of cousins. And I'm on the younger end of that range of people. And the coolest cousin I had by far when I was in high school uh, was a guy named Chip who lives in Texas who drives a pickup truck with horns on the front and is like everything you imagine in Texas. And I was at the point in my life where I was starting to think about what I was going to study in college. Chip came to visit for a couple of days and told me that he was an accountant and that it was amazing. And so I was convinced because I thought he was amazing. What I didn't know looking back on that was that most people don't find accountants to be naturally amazing, right? (laughs) The stereotypes are not that great. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that he sold me down the right path, but it's worked out. Yeah, I don't, you probably don't see a lot of pickup trucks with horns on the front in the GBQ parking lot. Not in Ohio, no. (laughs) And how old were you when you decided that? So I was like 17, probably. Okay, you'd always been strong in math then and... Yeah, and I had taken like a bookkeeping class, you know, kind of a personal finance class in high school, and it seemed like something I could do. And I think when you go, I hear this from students that we interview, right, who are trying to get jobs at GBQ, coming out of campus recruiting. You look around in your accounting classes, and you realize that there are people who get it, 
and mm-hmm. you're one of them, and there's a whole bunch of people who don't and who just want to run away screaming, and that's how you know you're meant to be an accountant. <laughs> that would be me, the latter group, yeah. I feel like. If you know any tax professionals, you might know one of the reasons why the profession can drive people away. The hours can get crazy, particularly at the height of tax season. I think that's definitely part of the reason. The seasonality of the accounting profession is very pronounced. And that's a difficult thing to manage when you're also trying to manage a lot of things at home. And I think the reality is that a lot of women make a choice to go find a way to use their accounting degree someplace where that seasonality doesn't exist. I think there's been immense progress in the last at least 10 years, probably a little bit longer, with firms getting really focused on that issue and trying to find flexibility. And this is one situation where the pandemic has really helped us because we are now way more flexible than we ever were before. And that's allowing us to have better retention rates with men and women both, but in particular with accommodating kind of the kids and family and some of the things that often fall to the women in the family. Mm -hmm. So I guess the idea would be like, even during tax season, you can go home for dinner, but then work from home. Yeah, and we're offering a lot of flexible schedules and a lot of like alternate ways to figure out how to get the work done and to maybe work something that makes sense. We have a lot of women who have different schedules, different points in their lives, and really are trying to find the way to still have a progressive career path, even if you're not working those crazy tax Mm -hmm. season hours. Given the timing of my interview with Darcy, it seemed appropriate to try and get at least one piece of advice for people and businesses scurrying to get those tax documents in by April 15th. If you could offer people one tip in this tax season, what would it be for... (laughs) The hot thing this week, literally, that has come out is the employee retention tax credits, which were part of the economic stimulus package. There's a lot of abuse happening where there are for-profit providers that are not accounting firms that are selling people on charging high fees to sell people on taking credits, claiming credits that they may or may not actually qualify for. And the IRS has just come out with a pretty harsh message that they're assigning a lot of auditors to that, and they are going to have some really big penalties Mm -hmm. for those people that have done that. So we've done a lot of that work in our firm. Every accounting firm has done a lot of work, but there's a lot of like people just trying to make money on it that aren't necessarily following the rules. So the big news right now, I guess, is to be cautious. If you're still trying to work on employee retention tax credits, and they are still available, to make sure that you're working with somebody who's given you good advice. Mm -hmm. But this tax season looks different for Darcy herself who is now able to focus solely on other elements of her job. So I officially retired from the tax department at the end of last year. So this is my first tax season not doing taxes, which is kind of exciting. My role is primarily leading the firm, working on some of our strategic initiatives. The marketing, HR, IT, and finance teams report to me. So the back office of the firm, I'm responsible for making sure the firm is running so that everybody else that is a client-facing accountant can just take care of the clients. So we have lots of big initiatives going right now, a stretchy strategic plan. Just got back a week ago. Mentoring Monday was my first day back in the office from a two-week trip to the Philippines and India. So we have employees in the Philippines right now, and by the end of this year, we'll have employees in India. Oh, wow. So working on that talent issue and the shortage that exists here. So I'm working on a lot of kind of bigger picture things for the firm at this point. Yes, like many other businesses, GBQ is dealing with a talent shortage. We experienced, like most people, zero turnover in 2020 during the pandemic, right? Everybody just kind of hunkered down. In 2021, we had record turnover because we basically had two years worth in what's. I think that happened in every accounting firm across the country and lots of other businesses. And then in 2022, things really have settled down. 
and we're kind of back to our normal pace. Accounting is a high turnover business, generally speaking, because a lot of people start and then decide they don't want to do it for the rest of their lives. Right now, though, we're in a place where I don't think we could hire enough people, honestly. Mm -hmm. There's just a huge demand for all kinds of accounting and advisory services right now, and the pool of people who want to do it is shrinking. So Mm -hmm. we keep adding more people and saying, like, if we could just get 10 more, we'll be good, right? And as soon as we get 10 more, like, okay, we need 10 more beyond that. So it's kind of a never-ending thing. We used to do recruiting twice a year. Now we do it every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I heard the same thing from a law firm recently, yeah. that, you know, it's kind of a once-a-year hire, but now it's just right. we're kind of always open. Yeah, it used to be, like, interns and then full-time hires, you know? Mm-hmm. You just did it in this cycle that was always the same for years, but very different world today. The firm is also thinking outside the box when it comes to sourcing talent. In fact, it's looking beyond our borders. Sure. We are, statistically speaking, everybody knows this, right? The demographics are working against us in the U.S. We're not producing as many children as we used to. So I think the projection right now is that by 2035, we'll have significantly more people over 65 than we have under 18. So when you look at that, you look at college enrollments, you look at some of the geography of where students are choosing to go to college. It's not the Midwest. So all those things kind of working against the talent pool. At the same time, there's a huge demand for accounting services, So the reality is that there's a lot of very experienced and very talented workforce in some of these other countries. And in the Philippines in particular, lots and lots of accounting people Mm -hmm. and also in India. And India is specifically a lot of tax expertise. So those are two places to go find great employees and that's what we're doing. Wow. So is it fully remote? Do you, are you setting up an office there? What does that look like? So we are fully remote in the Philippines. Our base office is just like a co-working space that's in Manila. Manila is the single most densely populated city in the world. So the commutes are insane. So most of our workers are remote. They're, they're in and out of that office every now and then. In India, we will have a dedicated office space but also probably have some hybrid options. Mm -hmm. Did anything surprise you about that trip or about this process, cultural difference-wise, in terms of their approach to work, especially? So this is my first trip to Asia. I've been to South America, been to Europe, and English is the language of business in both of those countries, certainly. We were treated with such immense hospitality in both places. I think we were just really shocked by how kind and wonderful everybody was, made us stop and think about how Americans behave sometimes. So I was traveling with a group of 15 people when we were in the Philippines because we're working on this together with other firms that are co-investing. And then in India, there were eight of us. So we all got to know each other really well for two weeks, but really had wonderful hospitality. And what we noticed in both countries is that technologically, they're probably further advanced than where we are from a business perspective, which I think is, you know, kind of eye-opening for the Mm -hmm. American arrogance sometimes. But then certainly there's a lot of poverty and there are a lot of other infrastructure issues to consider. So very different cities. Manila is shiny and fancy and looks a lot like LA, like skyscrapers everywhere and lots of development happening. And then we were in Bengaluru, India, which is kind of a second-tier city, big city, right? Very crowded spaces compared to what we're accustomed to certainly here. But Really great experience, and I think we can see the potential for those teams to really grow Mm -hmm. in those countries. How does that co-investment work with the other firms? So will these be GBQ employees there? or So we're essentially building um, shared services for the operations part of the business, and then we each have our own dedicated teams. So a group of firms that we've been collaborating with for a long time that are similar to us, but none of us overlap in our geography, so we don't compete. Mm -hmm. Collaborating, not competing. 
That's really interesting. That was yeah. not like something I expected to yeah, get into. Yeah, you know, GBQ on our own certainly could go get offshore talent, but we would do it through a third-party service. And this is allowing us, by collaborating with the others, to build our own and really create a different kind of employment relationship, I think, with those employees, hopefully for the same kind of progressive opportunities that we're offering here in the U.S. Yeah. Darcy is upfront about the typical types of people who go into accounting and what GBQ is looking for to stand out. We are trying to hire outgoing accountants, which is harder than it sounds. You're a bit of an oxymoron. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what everybody always says. Yeah. Accountants are envisioned as people who are quiet numbers people. And the reality is it's a client service business. And we've got to be able to engage with the clients to understand what's going on in their business or in their lives. You know, we do a lot of work with both big businesses, small businesses, and then individuals who have a lot of complication in their tax lives. So you've really got to be able to engage with people. So our primary filter, you know, obviously everybody's got the degree and we look at resumes and grade points, but our primary filter is personality. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking of, did you watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. Yeah, I keep thinking of the Ben Wyatt going into the accounting yes. firm and he's like the funniest guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have a couple of those. Yeah. That's, that's unusual. <laughs> And I imagine when you were entering the industry, and possibly still today, is it one we would safely call male-dominated? Were you kind of rare as a woman, or are there more women in accounting? So yes, yes and no. More than 50% of accounting grads have been women since the early 1990s. Unfortunately, that statistic doesn't hold as we raise through the ranks. Mm -hmm. So women in leadership are certainly more prevalent today than when I started but still not even close to the parity mm-hmm. with which they come into the profession. Darcy was one of the mentors during our recent Mentoring Monday event, an annual program held across the Business Journal's network where leading businesswomen share their expertise. Inspired by that day, I asked Darcy to talk about the role mentorship has played in her career. The first person was a guy who really recognized in my first job that things weren't going so hot. And I think I may have told this in the Mentoring Monday thing. I showed up on my first day of work, and the guy sitting next to me was assigned to be my supervisor. And he stood up and said, you know, I was part of the interview process with you, and I voted no. So I need you to be as easy as possible because I really didn't want you here. I was like, well, welcome to the firm, right? Fortunately, there was another guy who recognized that that dynamic wasn't going well and really stepped in and helped me get acclimated to that organization, which was great. In my second job, I worked for somebody who was immensely outgoing, was trying to build a practice and was like selling new work every day. He took me to every appointment that he went to and really was very instructive with me. You know, what to wear, what to say, what not to say, you know, what's, who are these people? What do they care about? How are we going to connect with them? And despite the fact that I think my friends thought that the stories I was telling them were a little overwhelming about, he told you to do what? You know, he said to wear what? (laughs) He really helped me on the practice development side of the business and the people connecting and so forth. He was the first person to encourage me to get really involved in the community. I can say today that some of the best friends that I met through that community involvement almost 30 years ago. So really beneficial, I think, in that he was very clear about what I needed to do and I was able to learn quickly. When I moved to GBQ, which was an acquisition, I had spent four years in this smaller firm kind of running around doing this other stuff and doing tax returns too. But realistically, didn't have somebody who was teaching and training and helping me become a better tax professional. So I had been at GBQ for about two months. And my new boss, who was kind of an intimidating guy, still is, said, you know, we need to talk. 
your talk skills are not as good as they need to be. And I thought he was going to fire me. And the next thing he said was, but I've noticed you got a bunch of other skills that your peers here don't have. And so why don't we try to figure out how you can study hard and catch up on the tax stuff? And we'll give you some of this other stuff that you like to do and you can make a difference for the firm that way and people will see you succeeding there, which was a huge gift, right? I mean, he could have just said like, this doesn't work, go away. But he really gave me the opportunity to step into some things that the firm did need to have done that nobody else really wanted to do. One of my first jobs was cleaning up the processes and documentation in HR, which really wasn't something I knew how to do, nor was I excited about it, but it was an opportunity really to get something done and be able to demonstrate that I could make differences in the operations of the firm. And ultimately, you know, that conversation and that decision and direction led to the job that I have today. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge gift. Mm-hmm. Do you do much mentoring now in the role that you're in or have you done and what does that look like? I have done formal mentoring through some programs externally with, you know, adult women who are changing their lives, with people who are small business owners. Within the organization, we have a formal mentoring program you can sign up for. I have not been one of those mentors mm-hmm. for a while. I did in the beginning but I have kind of an endless stream of people that come through my office. And so I feel like, yes, it happens organically all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that anybody would say she is my mentor, but I think a lot of people would say, you know, she gave me good advice or she helped me think through this problem or mm-hmm. she's been a resource to me. Here's somebody, you mentioned this about that one mentor. I feel like you're out in the community a ton and I see your name a lot. How do you decide what is a yes or what is a no in terms of taking on a broader So I think there's two categories to say yes to in my life right now. One is something that directly connected to the business of the firm. So for example, I've been really engaged in the Columbus Chamber, and the Columbus Chamber has a ton of members, right? 2,300 members at this point, all businesses. And there's a clear connection to me being on a board with a bunch of other business owners and what I can learn and what I can do and the other people that I can meet. And so that is beneficial to me individually and also to the firm. So that's the first category is the stuff that just kind of fits. The second category is the stuff that I actually care about. And I've done a lot of nonprofit stuff over time just because my boss has told me I should. (laughs) I'm at a place now where I'm really accepting those invitations when I think there's something I'm going to learn, right? Or something significant that I have experienced that I can contribute to -hmm. the cause. So that tends to be primarily around women's issues. And that's simply because I've spent a lot of time in those organizations and have had a lot of experiences that bring those things to bear. I also just recently, within last year, joined the Columbus College of Art and Design Mm. board because they needed an accountant, right? Every board (laughs) needs a treasurer or an audit committee member. And that has been really a great experience because it's a completely different group of people than I've ever been around, right? These are artistic, very interesting, different people than the accounting and business people that I've spent time with. So I did that one because I knew it was going to be a stretch for me to kind of get out of my comfort zone and do something else. Mm -hmm. Have you found that to be an easy shift to kind of prioritizing the stuff that fits or is it hard for you to say no to the stuff that I say no a lot. Okay. I didn't used to, but I've gotten way better at saying no. Mm -hmm. I think my empowerment on that came from all the friends I had that were trying to do in-home parties, trying to sell me candles and Pampered Chef and whatever, cabbie, all that stuff. That's the first time I remember just saying to myself, I don't want to do it and I'm going to say no. And then you realize when you say no to something, it feels pretty good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was quite a while ago, but I've learned to say no more gracefully now. And oftentimes... 
especially when it's community involvement, I can say, no, I can't do that, but let me find someone in the firm that would be a great match for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so makes we sense. do a lot of matchmaking. Even though she's stepping away from the demanding hours of tax season, Darcy is still an incredibly busy person. I wanted to know how she kicks back when she has rare free time. Well, regardless, still life, how did you handle or how do you handle kind of the crazy hours that they get associated with this? Yeah, well, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of work happening all the time. And so I kind of witnessed that and thought that was just how everybody lived. But I think what has happened, I've been doing this now, this is my 31st tax season. I've figured out a way to get my work done and make my life happen at the same time. And sometimes it's more work and sometimes it's more other and just figuring it all out as we go. The good thing about the profession that we have is that there's an immense amount of flexibility, particularly as you progress in the career. So we're not keeping track of who's where and when, and you know, you have to, you must work X hour to Y hour. We're just saying get the job done. And considering that we keep track of our time in six minute increments and we report that, it's pretty easy to track who's getting what done. So there's a lot of ability to kind of maneuver around kids' schedules and other things you want to do in your life. We have a lot of dads that, you know, leave early in the summertime and go coach mm-hmm. some sort of sporting event or, you know, attend the things their kids are involved in. So we are in a very different place today, certainly, than what that looked like 30 years ago when I started. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, you know, we talked a lot about the demands on your time and about doing stuff out in the community. How do you unwind when you are able to find some free time? So I have a lot of friends and I've lived in German Village for 30 years. I'm really involved there and that is more fun than volunteer work, I think. I really like to entertain and cook. So yeah. that's really how I spend most uh-huh. of my time, I think, when I can is eating and drinking and hanging out with people. That's great. What do you like to cook? Any specific Cuisine or just anything and everything? My favorite thing is giant parties. Oh, okay. So I like theme parties and I like the planning more than the actual party. But I <laughs> do an annual German Village House and Garden Tour dinner. Mm. So I usually host about 30 people mm. for dinner and there's always a theme. That's great. Uh, there's a theme to the overall event and then you got to plan, you know, so it's fun. Have you seen a lot of change in German Village in the time that you live there? Or is it a pretty constant neighborhood? I think there's been an immense amount of work done, you know, in the village since the first time I moved in. So the trajectory, if you stay in German Village forever, is you start with, you know, an apartment and no parking. And you have to find a place to stash your car. And then my next house was, had a parking spot, but no garage. And then finally in the third iteration, I got to a place where I had a garage and a yard. So I've lived in several places around the neighborhood and have been there long enough now to have had some friends from the beginning who left and went to Baxley and Arlington for their kids to go to school. And they said, when they left, we'll be back. And I didn't believe them and they're back now. So I've waited them out and now they're back and it's awesome. I just, one of our reporters just had a slideshow of some new downtown apartments. And I was like, I can't live in those right now, but maybe in like 20 years. Yeah, Yeah, there are a lot of empty nesters in Mm -hmm. German Village. So, Mm -hmm. and I'm of that age, I don't have kids, but I'm of that age. That's perfect for me. And as always, I asked Darcy for her best advice. Her answer was simple. Confidence, confidence, confidence. I think there's all kinds of research out there that says that women hold themselves back by not feeling like they're perfect for an opportunity. And the classic example is looking at a job description and saying, like, I only know how to do half of that, so I'm not qualified. When generally any man that looks at it and says, I know how to do half of it, is like, I'm going for it. And I think that plays itself out in so many different places Women build a lot of confidence through school because women generally are more focused in school than men are. 
and there's data on all the stuff I'm saying. I'm not making it up. But then you get to work and you realize that work has a whole different set of rules and politics and the teacher isn't going to call on you and you've got to put yourself out there. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to do. So that's you're not going to get an A at the end and you checked yes. all the boxes. And yes. for me, that was the hardest adjustment in my early 20s was yes. yeah, that I did this well on the rubric. Don't I get the A? So, yeah, yeah, we totally hold ourselves feel. back in our heads. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. So thank you so much, Darcy. Sure. Lovely to chat. Great Appreciate to talk it. with you. Thank you. And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, then follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Darcy Congrove for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence.